Language. It's the basis of all human communication. It's what enables us to discuss ideas, issue commands, interact with each other, order a meal, and tell our family that we love them. Yet language can also be a barrier, particularly for soldiers on operations overseas. How do you build rapport with someone if you don't even speak the same language? Well, in this episode of Cove Thoughts, we'll explore how the Australian Army currently delivers language capability. We'll also look at some other options available to us in the age of the internet and, hopefully, encourage you to think about learning a second language. Welcome to Cove Thoughts. Hi, I'm Greg Colton, and in today's episode of Cove Thoughts, we're going to be talking about languages. In particular, we're going to explore just how important languages are for a future-ready army and ask how the army can best develop its language capability. But first, a personal anecdote. In 2012, I was a company commander in 3RER when we were warned off for a deployment to Afghanistan. And amongst all the pre-deployment training, we had to send some of our soldiers off to do the patrol Pashtu course. It was held at the Defence School of Languages, and if memory serves me right, was about three months long. The aim of the course was to allow at least one member of each patrol to be able to speak to members of the local population while out on the ground. Now by 2012, the Australian Army had been in Afghanistan on and off for the best part of a decade, and our role was to mentor the Afghan National Army. It therefore seemed rather odd that there was no language training for those officers and senior NCOs who were going to spend the majority of their deployment day in and day out, talking to their Afghan counterparts. So I searched around for whatever language training in Dari I could find, which turned out to be an online course and a phrase book first published during the British occupation of India in the 1890s. And in the little time I had, I taught myself as much Dari as I could. When we arrived in our small patrol base in the Mirabad Valley, after only a couple of days, things became immediately apparent. Firstly, because we were mentoring the ANA, the Afghan soldiers did all the interaction with the local population and our patrol linguists were virtually redundant, particularly as every patrol had at least one interpreter. Secondly, contrary to all the advice received before we deployed, the officers of the battalion we were mentoring all spoke Pashtu, not Dari. It became abundantly clear to me that despite all the years the army had already spent in the country, it had fundamentally misunderstood the language problem. Dr David Kilcullen is perhaps one of Australia's most influential military thinkers of the last 20 years. As one of the world's leading experts on guerrilla warfare, he has served in every theatre of the war on terror since 9-11. He has been the special advisor to counterinsurgency to Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, senior counterinsurgency advisor to General David Petraeus in Iraq, and chief counter-terrorism strategist for the US State Department. I asked him why having a language capability is so important to the army. Yeah, I think there are actually three uh, key capabilities that it gives you. Firstly, the ability to engage among the people in uh, operations like counterinsurgency, uh, training engagements, uh, special warfare or unconventional warfare, if that's the, the task that a particular unit has. Um, and then in particular, alliance and coalition operations, when you may need to work closely with a partner or a, a mentee, right, that you're working with. 
That's the first one. Second one is, you know, there are certain key players, uh, specialists who really need to have almost native speaker level uh, grasp of a particular language. The ability to really compete in international engagement or in, in, in competition uh, below the threshold of armed conflict. So all the things we do with our international engagement programs, uh, training, deployments, that kind of stuff, are all enhanced by the familiarity with another culture and another way of thinking that you get if you have at least some understanding of their language. This is not just the view of the military theorist. One officer class one, Jason Watini, recently spent two years as the regimental sergeant major of 8-9 RER, an infantry battalion which has been heavily involved in enhanced regional engagement in the southwest Pacific. Native linguists uh, uh, provide connectivity, in my, my opinion. They connect you and with the people, and from there, that's where we do everything. That's where we develop those partnerships, establish those teams, um, you know, with... Um, I think the difference with a linguist, we, we have some form of cultural credibility, which which um, creates or helps you build trust with the um, the population. And then, you know, that's how you develop those partnerships. So I think having native linguists um, assist you in having an understanding um, what people are saying and, and in what context uh, provides substantial benefit Um as the RBG last year in the South Pacific, we would have definitely um, enhanced our reputation of the ADF if we had a native linguist. The realisation that military linguists are important is not new. A study by the United States Army into the role of advisers during the conflicts in Korea, Vietnam and El Salvador found that advisers faced significant challenges and suffered major shortcomings. One passage reads... Lacking language skills, advisors were basically deaf. They did not understand what was being said around them. In Korea, advisors were totally dependent on their Korean army translators. In South Vietnam, even with some basic language training, advisors were heavily dependent on their Arvin translators. In El Salvador, where some language skill was required, few advisors were native speakers. Without language training, communication is impaired. It is a viewpoint David Kilcullen agrees with. Yeah, look, it's like being uh, deaf and blind, right? I mean, you're you're in among a population. You don't know what people are saying around you in the conversation. As simple as driving around in a town in Iraq and not being able to interpret the graffiti that you're seeing on the wall to know whether you're in a friendly or hostile environment or whether it's even a Shia or Sunni neighbourhood, um, which can be, you know, critically important to your survival. Um in a place like that. Uh, and it, it does kind of reduce you to the level of operating um, as a child, right? Where you're being led around by your partner or you just don't have a partner and you're operating completely. Blind. And you can really misinterpret people's behaviour if you don't understand their language and their culture. And it can be lethal. So what does the Australian Army currently do to develop a linguist capability? Bob Tyne is the Australian Army's Manager of Languages. Well, the Australian Army currently delivers a language capability or a LOAT, languages other than English, capability predominantly through the Defence Force School of Languages at RAF uh, Williams, Blatterton, just outside of Melbourne. Uh, they run a range of courses uh, from 
two weeks through to a full year and the majority of capability is delivered through those year-long courses. Uh, the courses are delivered in around about 15 languages that varies from year to year depending on current uh, priorities. Uh, some languages aren't conducted every year but all of the priority languages which are predominantly the regional languages for Southeast Asia and East Asia and our operationally focused languages, um, you know, Arabic, uh, Persian, Farsi, Dari, those languages are conducted every year. As a capability, we need to ensure that we have a range of levels in each of the languages. So currently, uh, we assess linguists at three levels. The graduation standard from a long course at the School of Languages is called intermediate level. Uh, Army then conducts other training overseas, intensive um, immersion training in our priority languages to qualify people at the higher level and then for a small number of linguists at the advanced level. As Bob points out, there are a range of people from all ranks and corps who can find themselves on a language course. Acacia is now a lieutenant in the army, but she did the French language course when she was a musician in the Australian Army Band. So going on the language course as a soldier, for me, was quite a good intimate experience because there was only four in total in the class. There was myself and one other private, and then there were two majors. But um, what was made very clear to us at the start was that there was no rank in the classroom. Um, we had two civilians as teachers, so it meant that it was very much focusing on learning the language rather than having any sort of um, rank relationship within the classroom. So that language skill, now that I'm an officer, it certainly broadens my horizons when it comes to being able to communicate people, yes, because I know one other language which is fairly widely spoken in the world, um, but it's also boosted my confidence to be able to express myself um, and even to ask questions about something when you're not sure to go, okay, I, I can't know everything because I had to ask so many questions in another language about something as simple as how to order a cup of tea. Um, but um, that means that you're still open to that learning. So the Defence School of Languages provides a bespoke language development capability for the Army. But what about those who can't get onto a defence language course? Well, there are other ways to learn. There is now a multi-million dollar industry based around providing language resources to those who wish to learn online. Podcasts, apps, books, CDs. The list is almost endless. And some members of defence have been able to teach themselves languages and use these novel means to learn a language. That was Gemma Haynes. Gemma is an Australian public servant from the Department of Defence who is currently posted to Seoul in South Korea. When she found out that she'd been selected for the position, she was determined to learn Korean. So when I found out that I was getting posted to Seoul as first Secretary of Defence, I was super excited. And, you know, one of the first things that crossed my mind was, oh, my God, the second was... Um, I better learn Korean. Um, you know, I, I wasn't willing to wait for the defence training that they would provide me later. So I, you know, quickly jumped on to 
um, you know, some of the apps that you can find online these days. Um, you know, one of them is Memrise or Drops, um, Talk To Me In Korean and Monly. And these apps are really good. Um, you know, they almost like video games. So, you know, it's not as tedious as, you know, sitting down and hitting the books. So teaching yourself a language using resources can be hard work and take a lot of time. Was the heartache worth it? It makes an enormous amount of difference if you can speak a language, even if it's only a couple of words. Whether I'm talking to my counterparts from the you know, Korean Ministry of National Defence or Ministry of Foreign Affairs, or whether I'm talking to the taxi driver or the ajuma at the local grocery store, you know, I found that it makes an enormous difference and the reception is, you know, far greater if you do make that attempt to converse in the local language. So language is important. It allows our soldiers to connect with individuals on a personal level while also providing the army with an important operational capability. The Army will always develop high-level linguists at the Defence School of Languages. However, there are so many resources available these days, there is no reason why those who want to can't embark on learning a language themselves. There are websites and podcasts, old-fashioned books and cutting-edge interactive apps. Some of them are free, and many of them only cost a few dollars. Yet the edge they give us, as an army is priceless. Rather than examine the countless options here, we've put a link on the Cove to a website which provides an independent review of a host of different programmes and platforms. You can check it out at www.cove.army.gov.au. More importantly, why not give learning a language a go? All it takes is a little time. Perhaps allocate the last 30 minutes of your day before you sleep to some language training rather than scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. Or perhaps spend some of your lunch break on a language app. It doesn't have to be a university-level course, and you may surprise yourself just how quickly you can pick it up. Once you have some basic words and phrases, and after social distancing measures ease up, there are loads of ways in which you can continue to improve your language skills. Acacia again. So in my own time, uh, up in Brisbane, I've joined what they call like a, a coffee and conversation class, which has just been done through Meetup. And it's just every Saturday or sometimes every uh, Wednesday, depending on what they do. Um, there's just a group that meets up at a local French um, cafe um, up in Brisbane. And some it's a big mixture. Some of them are like me. They're Australian, but they've learnt um, French up to a fairly good level. Some of them are... French born and they're living over here so they want to keep their language up which is really good because we get to actually have people correct our grammar and all that interesting stuff. Um, we've got um, French speakers from other French ex-French colonies or French um, speaking places like Vietnam, uh, Philippines as well. So there's a big difference in accents as well then. So that's helped broaden my knowledge of understanding French when it's been spoken by different regions of the world. Um, as well, I do a fair bit of listening of and watching of the news in French. And there's also a lot of resources online when it comes to actually practicing grammar tests and everything like that. Um, there's heaps of French apps that I use on my phone, which is as simple as you're waiting for a train or something like that, and you've got five minutes to play some French games. You can also speak to your local mental health detachment about taking the language aptitude test. David Kilcullen did that back in 1993 and studied Indonesian. 
I asked him how useful learning a language had been and what impact being a linguist has had on his career. Oh, it was hugely useful. In fact, I think I could say my entire career since then has been heavily influenced by going to language school. I was in 6RAR as a, as a platoon commander. I was actually the mortal platoon commander when my CEO at the time, Jim Molan, uh, said to me, I, I want to recommend you for the language school. And I suggested um, Khmer because people may not remember, but there was actually a pretty major uh, deployment going on in, in uh, Cambodia at the time. And he said, no, mate, you know, Khmer is important now, but it's going to go away in terms of its relevance. The enduring language that's always going to be of relevance to us is going to be Indonesian. And there's a few others, but that's, you know, that's critical. So I did Indonesian. Um, At the end of that period, uh, I started doing my PhD um, in uh, Indonesian military history, in part just because I had the language I could now read the primary sources, I could do interviews. I ended up spending a lot of time up in Indonesia. I ran training teams up there with Capacis, Indonesian SF, and also uh, Kostrad. Uh, I did some weapons training with them. Um, and, you know, by the time I graduated from language school, I had uh, fours in Indonesian, which is, you know, not native proficiency, but close enough that you can have a pretty sophisticated conversation, you're aided by the fact that Indonesian is an easy language and also it's most Indonesians' second language, right, because they they grow up speaking uh, another tongue uh, originally. So by the time I got to East Timor, I was very familiar with the Indonesians. I was very familiar with Indonesian history. I spent a lot of time up there. Um, I was a known quantity to them, importantly. Um, We got into a rather embarrassing firefight on the border about three weeks into the Interfed operation. And I was the only linguist uh, with that patrol. I wasn't in command of it, but I was able to move to the front of the patrol during the firefight that we had and, you know, get a grip of the situation and negotiate a ceasefire purely because I happened to be able to speak sufficiently good Indonesian to have a technical discussion about mapping and borders and, ceasefire and all that sort of stuff with a Indonesian officer from a unit that I had actually trained a few years before. Um, so, you know, that it was a, a fairly, you know, you could argue it was wrong place, wrong time or right place, right time, you know, but I certainly learned during the, de- the deployment in, in Interfet that the way we did language capability at the time had some uh, limitations. You know, I mean, I was the only non-intelligence person in the brigade that actually had decent Indonesian language. There was a number of other people, but they were all analysts in uh, the the G2, you know, group. But we also had a number of people who were actually native Timorese Tedum speakers who were not who were misemployed. They weren't employed in the role of linguists or uh, in a liaison role, but were, you know, lugging Mag-58s around as uh, as gunners in in rifle sections. So I think. Part of my lesson out of East Timor was that we were doing some things really right and we were, it was, we were extremely lucky to have the policies that we had in place during the 1990s about language training, but there were things we could have done better as well. The view that being a military linguist is less a skill and more a career trait is echoed by Bob Tyne. Linguists need to understand that um, being a linguist is a career opportunity, not a a short course that you can undertake 
and then not worry about because you will lose those skills. Um, it's a career opportunity, so linguists need to understand if they're going to undertake language training, that they need to be prepared to commit to it for the entirety of their uh, army or military career. Uh, it provides numerous opportunities that people probably don't even think of. Um, lots of good fun, good times, lots of intensive times uh, and uh, in countries that people probably never even thought that we would have military engagement with. Um, so there are lots of opportunities and I, I would, I would um, encourage any people out there that are thinking about undertaking language training to undertake the language aptitude testing that can be arranged through their local mental health um, support section. Uh, and if they have the aptitude, give it a go. Perhaps more than anything, this Cove thought has shown that there's not a one-size-fits-all solution for languages. However, whether it's through the Defence School of Languages or self-paced study using a language app, there are opportunities for all of us to learn a second language. So, what are you waiting for? Cove Thoughts is produced by the team at The Cove, part of the Australian Army's Professional Military Education Network. For more information, visit www.cove.army.gov.au. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the contributors and do not necessarily reflect the position of the Australian Army, the Department of Defence or the Australian Government. Thank <laughs> you.